Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. We've all heard the phrase housing crisis a thousand times these days, and many of us have been personally impacted by a lack of available housing. Whether you are a young person that's been hoping to buy your first home but totally unable to because of high costs and competition, or whether you're someone who has experienced homelessness because of eviction, job loss, or any number of reasons. There are a lot of people proposing solutions to this housing crisis, and one of them is today's podcast guest, Beth Silverman. But the solution that she's been working on isn't one of the more typical responses that you might have heard lately, like, we just need to build more homes, or we just need more government subsidies for housing. Rather, it's about uniting for-profit landlords and developers together with nonprofit service organizations towards this common goal of getting people housing who need it. Beth Silverman is the founder and executive director of the Lotus Campaign, whose mission is to increase the availability of housing for people experiencing homelessness by engaging the for-profit sector as a partner in the solution. She sees herself partly as a translator between entities that typically work separately and tend to rarely talk to one another. She knows that nonprofits have services, connections, and insights to offer, and that landlords and real estate professionals can bring innovation, capital, and access to housing for homeless people or people at risk of homelessness. During its short time in operation, the Lotus Campaign has already housed more than 360 individuals and families for a cost of the organization of less than $1,000 per person each year. And most of those people are able to stay housed after their participation in the program ends. So there's a lot to learn from this conversation. Hope you enjoy. Beth Silverman, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's good to have you on the show. It's great to be here, Rachel. Can you start by telling us a little about yourself and how you came to be doing this work that you do? Yeah. So my name's Beth Silverman, like you just said. I am an urban planner by education, but I have never actually worked directly in planning. I've always worked in real estate, policy, and equitable economic development. And about four years ago, I was running a technical assistance program. So you can think of it like in-house community consulting at the Urban Land Institute, working with communities around the country about complicated land use and real estate issues. And everywhere I went, whether it was Norman, Oklahoma, Philadelphia, Estes Park, Colorado, or Los Angeles, communities were struggling with housing affordability and homelessness. And so that became a national inventory for me of how common the housing affordability issues were across the country, as well as increasing challenges around homelessness. So some of where Lotus came from is seen firsthand around the country, just dire need for new thinking and reimagining how we think about solving these issues. Just for some background so we know a little more about you, um, what what is the community where you live and um, how does that kind of influence your work? Well, I am a recent resident 
in Asheville, North Carolina. So I'm one of those people that uh, picked up their life during the pandemic and decided to change pace a little bit. I had been living in Washington, D.C. for a while, and Lotus Campaign started in Charlotte, North Carolina. I would say the common theme between those three places, which are really unique in personality and characteristics and size, is they all suffer greatly from tight housing markets and an increasing challenge around homelessness and um, housing insecurity. So how does the Lotus campaign work to address that, that challenge of homelessness and housing affordability? Great question. So Lotus is a nonprofit startup that really was set out to design some pragmatic housing-driven solutions for homelessness. Uh, And, you know, that's an ambitious goal because I think homelessness is generally viewed as an unsolvable challenge. So we wanted to create a model that bridges the gap between the for-profit real estate and investment sectors. So all the folks that are involved with housing and investment alongside of uh, social service organizations. So all of the individuals that support and assist our vulnerable neighbors. And really that's because we wanted to create partnerships between these unlikely allies. Because when you think about who knows the most about property management, leveraging other people's investment capital for some goal and how to build and how to design uh, housing, that's the real estate industry. And then if you think about who knows the best about ongoing support and services, about the impact of trauma on on someone's path to self-sufficiency, that's really the nonprofit community. And and we just saw the co-founders of Lotus really saw those two key communities as really critical to thinking differently about the solution. So our mission is pretty simple. It's how do you increase the availability of housing for the unhoused or those that are at risk of experiencing homelessness by engaging the for-profit sector as a partner in the solution. And we have a couple different parts of our model, but at a high level, that's really the goal is to bring in some unlikely actors to the solution and and reimagine just how we come up with other tools. It seems like you're also, this work is really bringing together like your different backgrounds and expertise too with that, like real estate and planning and thoughtfulness about different like social issues. That's, That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think I it's like language fluency. Like I'm, I'm translating from the for-profit sector to the nonprofit sector and helping them understand each other's risks and breaking down silos they have. And um, yeah, it is really interesting because if you would have asked me 15 years ago when I started uh, along the path of real estate planning, equitable economic development, I would have uh, never designed or thought that a job like this existed. Yeah. So I think there's, I mean, there's definitely this perception among plenty of people that were only really able to address things like homelessness um, and other housing concerns through extensive subsidies or, you know, nonprofits just completely providing that housing themselves. Um, But 
think a lot of folks in the Strong Towns audience have experienced that if that's the only thing we're relying on, we're just not going to get all of the homes that we need. Like we need the for-profit sector and the market to also provide those. I know I used to work at a homeless shelter and they're connecting with, you know, just normal landlords and property managers was a huge part of getting people into housing. It wasn't just going to be government supported housing projects. So yeah, why, why intentionally work with the for-profit sector? And do you come up against some, you know, misperceptions about what that means to, to work with real estate developers and things? So great questions. And you touched on a key part of why we started Lotus. And that is, there's just not enough public or philanthropic capital out there to meet the magnitude of the challenge. And so if you think about all the private capital that's out there, and if you think about the best practices in real estate, so how do you leverage capital for whether it's a financial return or some other outcome, um, we really wanted to take the best practices in real estate and apply them to something that's both a real estate and a social challenge. And I think oftentimes we look to the public sector and you can't see me doing this, but I'm doing air quotes over here, the government to solve all of these community challenges when in reality, they're not going to be the most innovative entrepreneurs in the solutions. There's you know, government is awesome in many ways. I'm pro-democracy and pro-government, but I'm never going to look to the public sector to be entrepreneurial in new solutions. And I think there's just a huge role for the private sector. And unfortunately, the private sector, especially around real estate, so investors, developers, owners, landlords, there are a lot of misperceptions. Um, you know, one big myth that's always out there is they're greedy and they don't care about anyone. I would say that's not correct. Like any industry, there are always some bad actors. Um, and I think the real estate industry is, is um, no different than any other industry. But if you give the private sector an easy path to say yes, that doesn't put them at economic risk, they will participate. Um, and I have seen just so many of our partners and just property management staff be super excited that they're partnering with us. And I think, you know, some of the things that we come up against are these myths that are just, just very general and have been out there for a while. Oh, landlords want to evict everyone. When in reality, if a landlord can avoid an eviction, they want to. They're painful. They take a long time, and no one wants to evict someone else. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, yeah, at the end of it, you don't have a paying tenant. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes it is literally the only legal mechanism. And um, and then you know, on the nonprofit side, there's a perception that well, these are just do-gooders that don't understand the economic realities of the world or the economics behind real estate development. You know, a lot of times I think I've heard from folks in the real estate industry, oh, people think we can just build housing in a day, when in reality, there are regulatory constraints that really slow down a timeline or give us so much uncertainty that, you know, we can't produce in, in a way that would meet the magnitude of the challenge. But something we really do in our education pillar is try to bust these myths and think through 
um, how we reimagine conversations about difficult topics like housing affordability, homelessness, and who's in the room and how do we get some unlikely folks part of the same conversation because there's not often space for, you know, I would argue that many developers and landlords are actually community champions, but how often do you see them in the same room as the head of the biggest nonprofit focusing on housing insecurity or with the, let's just say, the person in charge of social impact at a regional healthcare system. It's very rare that those folks are in the same room and they should be because they're actually working on solutions for for similar outcomes. Um, So part of what we do is try to do that in a really strategic way and help people become allies. Very cool. Tell us more about like practically what this model looks like on the ground. Uh, It sounds like definitely relationship building between different people. What are some of the like projects that you all work on or like initiatives that you do on the day to day? Yeah, great, great question. So our approach has three main pillars, connect, create, and educate. And those all have the goal of bridging divides and increasing the scale at which people are housed in the immediate, medium, and long-term. So in other words, we're really looking at a continuum of solutions because what we know about housing and homelessness is that Band-Aids don't always address what happens as a next step in healing and management. So if I touch on those real briefly, our Connect Pillar, um, we created a landlord participation program where Lotus serves as the bridge between nonprofits, so those who identify their clients, uh, people that are either experiencing homelessness or are at risk of homelessness, and landlords, so those that have available units. But I should say we target market rate landlords in something I call neighborhoods with strong opportunity structures. So places that are near transit, there's some neighborhood retail, mixed income. So really to drill that down, not housing our most vulnerable neighbors on the margins of their communities. And really what this program is doing is reducing the risks to landlords by providing a series of economic incentives and guarantees to address their economic risk, and then ensuring that tenants receive ongoing support and social services throughout the term of their lease for our nonprofit partners. And that's addressing perception risk. And then we have a small part of our model, and we're hoping to grow that as we grow, Create, that's the Create Pillar. It's an investment and acquisitions program that really was designed to address homelessness and the shortage of high quality, safe, and affordable housing by investing in existing properties. So we leverage capital as a tool for social impact. Other parts of that program are to research alternative construction materials and techniques to reduce construction costs. But the whole idea behind that pillar is how do you model that you can do good and do well? How do you leverage small amounts of private capital to attract more capital? And so we have one investment that's 144 units. It's a multifamily property in Southwest Charlotte. We partnered with a social impact investment fund. And for our $300,000, we got a $6 million equity partner in just a 
traditional Freddie Mac loan for, I think it was $10 million. So we now have control of a $17 million asset for seven years. And if you noted, there's no subsidy in that capital stack. And as part of that project, we have 20% of the units that are set aside for our core mission. So this is getting market returns, um, of course, not as high as if it was all market, if it didn't have the 20% units that are at slightly lower, rent, lower rents, but it's you know this concept of responsible property investment. You can do this without subsidy um, and you can do a small amount of your programming mix to be part of the solution. And so we're in that project, we're both preserving naturally occurring affordable housing. And then, as I said before, a small portion, so 20%, that's 30 units, participate in our landlord participation program. And then the last pillar, educate, which we sort of touched on a little bit earlier, is all about raising awareness and busting myths about homelessness, um, advising communities on how to engage the real estate sector in the solution and reimagining how we talk about difficult topics. And, and the goal is really to just take a fresh approach towards homelessness, towards solving homelessness and inviting others to be part of the solution because we've been using very similar tools for decades and they're no longer meeting the challenge. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. What has it been like to operate in the current, you know, kind of wild housing market with, you know, costs going up so much? Have you all had to adjust the way you work? You know, what's interesting is I would say if you take both COVID and the mirror that gave to to most communities about, wow, our housing systems are really fragile. Um it's just brought more awareness to the need and the challenge. And we, if anything, I would just say the demand is is higher for nonprofits that want to partner with us. But we have, our program was designed to work in tight markets where there's um, low vacancy. So because we have strong relationships with our landlord partners and our nonprofits have developed strong rapport with them, their housing folks at the at the same pace, but I what what I will say is something we're starting to play around with is as folks graduate from both support from their nonprofit partner and Lotus support, we are going to be piloting a program later this spring that really looks at how do you help someone once they graduate. So to just like step back for a second, we've housed over three hundred and sixty individuals at a cost of less than $1,000 per person per year. So that cost is, is not the rent, but it's removing economic roadblocks like security deposit, renter's insurance, application fee, inspection fee. We guarantee against loss of rent and tenant cost damages. We provide a payment in lieu of security deposit to our landlord partners. Not all of them take it, but that's really a recognition of the risk they're taking in renting to someone that wouldn't normally qualify their programs, we're essentially acting as the credit guarantor. And so something we've started to think about, and this is really because of the great rapport that's been built between our landlord partners and our nonprofit partners, is how do we give folks as they're graduating out of our program a little boost 
as they qualify for a lease on their own or move into other housing. So what we're going to be doing is back end support and guarantees. So similar, you know, renter's insurance, we're going to move um, from Lotus guaranteeing their rent when they've graduated to um, there's a program called with Liberty Rent Guarantee. And we'll, we will provide the application fee for that so that even when someone's graduated, they will be covered for six months in their um, next step in their you know journey to stable housing and, and sufficiency. So that was a long way of saying what we've started to think about is just the crunch is tighter for folks. So how can we not only support people on their way into housing through our programs, but as they're graduating out. So you all started working in Charlotte, and I know that that's been like the the primary focus of your work, but are you also expanding into other places now? It's a great question. Yes, we totally are. We're working on where to scale and expand next. We're, we are currently in a program development phase of a small landlord participation program pilot in Pensacola, Florida. And then we're starting to raise capital to go to a larger community and test scaling there. But the whole idea behind Lotus was to build something that was replicable and scalable. Because while homelessness and housing affordability challenges feel so local and so individual to a community, there's actually a ton of commonalities. So some of the market characteristics might be different, but I feel pretty strongly that if you can you can adjust for those, we have a really replicable model. That's great. You've talked about a lot of different entities and folks that you see as important partners in this work. How do you get feedback from those people and ensure that your work is, you know, listening to the needs of the the people that are being served by the program? What we have done, and I would say in general, Lotus is uh, a flexible and nimble approach. So what we do with all of our partners, so our landlord partners and our nonprofit partners, is we do at least twice a year check-in surveys, which are um, both, you know, an online survey, but also phone calls too, um, to just hear from them. So things like, how's the program working? How are move-ins going? Can we improve our trainings? Do you have any ideas for us? Um, And that's to make sure there's a regular feedback loop. Outside of that, there's a lot of informal brainstorming and communication. So we get a lot of feedback and ideas that way too. And whenever we do onboarding and training with our partners, that's also an opportunity, but we've we've made structured into our processes at least twice a year, a very direct and clear platform for feedback and just refining our model um, and hearing from our partners. Because, you know, if, it, if it's not easy enough for them to participate, then we need to tweak something. Awesome. Yeah, makes sense. What are some of the results or success stories that you're most proud of from your work so far with the Lotus campaign? I think it's one, getting the real estate and the nonprofit sectors to truly believe that they can be partners in a solution. Um, 
I think I already said we've housed over 360 individuals and families. And up until a year and a half ago, we were a team of one. And so what that makes me think is as we grow, wow, like the impact we could have. And and we have now seven participating landlords, which sounds really small, but that's over 20 residential communities. And you just heard um, the, the aggregate st- stats. But I'm also super proud of the number of renewals we've had. I actually think the lease renewal metric is super important because that means someone's not only taking that first step of getting support and being housed, it's that they're staying in housing. Of the 360 individuals, we've had 249 either renew their leases one, two, and three times. That's, that's about 142 folks. And then we've had about 108 successfully move on to housing on their own. So we call that graduating. But I'm most proud of that and something we're working on that we're going to get some support from our summer interns this year is how we measure people years. So really that aggregate, the impact each year on people, because I think the numbers alone don't tell the comprehensive story because that one, two and three time renewal, I think is so important to look at. Yeah, that's a really impressive number. Um, I definitely remember again, like when I was working for a shelter and doing a rapid rehousing program, a lot of families just unfortunately once they had to, you know, be starting to fully pay rent on their own, it just, it didn't work out. Um, and a lot of people, yeah, had to move on or got evicted. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a really impressive number. It also speaks to, again, the value of not only working with government or totally nonprofit supported housing, because those sorts of things often, you know, are very ongoing cost. And the idea that you could get somebody on their feet for a year and then like they're on their own and able to, you know, pay for rent themselves. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, the thing that's challenging for nonprofit partners and and sometimes public social service agencies, they're really tied to the constraints of their funding. And I would argue that someone that's experienced the trauma of homelessness or housing insecurity to expect that, you know, six months of support, they're going to be successful and have fully healed. You know, I don't know if that's really the right approach, right? If if someone's uh, experienced that level of trauma, I'm not sure a one size fits all approach with, hey, six months of funding for case management. I don't know if that's really the most sustainable approach. And so we have been fortunate to work with partners that, um, you know, our requirement is at least the support and services that matches the lease term. Otherwise, we can't get landlords on board because uh, they're very concerned about drop-off services and the fact that their property managers are not case managers. So to close this out here, what advice would you give for somebody that's listening and might be interested in applying a similar model in their community? I think throwing out the notion that there's one way to solve this problem. I think putting on 
the creative imagination had of how do we use some best practices that perhaps are used in other industries and apply them here. I would also say we will talk to anyone and share what we're doing. Um, you know, the need is so high and, and while our big, hairy, audacious goal is to not exist eventually, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, but also remember that, um, Landlords are humans, nonprofits are humans. And if you can talk to them like people, as opposed to, hey, you should be doing this, or why aren't you doing that? You're going to get a lot further in your uh, recruitment of allies in the solution. Great point. Well, thank you so much, Beth Silverman, for coming on the show. Where's the best place for people to find more information about your work? Our website is pretty a pretty great source. So that's lotuscampaign.org, L-O-T-U-S-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N.org. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure to include the link for everyone in the show notes. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again, Beth. It was wonderful to talk with you and have you here. Thanks so much, Rachel. Okay. I am always on the hunt for new guests for the show, but especially right now, I would really love your suggestions for guests that you'd like to come on here. So send them my way, rachel at strongtowns.org. That's R-A-C-H-E-L at strongtowns.org. Also, look for some big announcements on the Strongtowns website in the coming weeks. I'll be mentioning them on the show too, but definitely keep an eye on our website or join our email list at strongtowns.org slash email if you want to really be up to date on those exciting uh, pieces of news. Finally, thanks to our members for supporting this show, our other podcasts, our daily articles, and everything that we do to spread this Strong Towns message. Our members make all of it possible. Join this group of awesome people at strongtowns.org slash membership. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you back here for the next episode. Take care. Mm-hmm.